seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Alex Wong, and for each episode, I will be joined by my co-host, Russ Bankson. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Russ and I this platform to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots to successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y.com. Before we get into our regular discussions today, Russ, um, I thought it makes sense for us to just address the audience and talk about this amongst ourselves a little bit. We've been recording these episodes, um, you know, before and while these police brutality protests are happening all across America and honestly all across the world right now. And, you know, those are the most important issues at hand right now, um, whether you've been affected by them, um, you know, directly or indirectly. Um, you know, I feel like these are issues that everybody should be aware of. Everybody should be listening and educating themselves on. So, um, you know, I just want to let everyone to know that, you know, I didn't want us to, you know, banter about, you know, the 99 bulls and, and how terrible they are without, um, addressing these things. Yeah. I mean, we've gone from having the last dance kind of unite everyone in in a, you know, COVID-19 world where everyone just wanted to be distracted to now, you know, what is on TV every day or on Twitter every day is something that we really don't need to be distracted from and something that quite honestly, all of us should have been paying a lot closer attention to all along. Um, you know, it's, it's frightening and horrifying that we would go from Eric Garner to George Floyd in six years and having basically nothing change. Um, the feeling on what's happening out there now, whether it's in New York City or in Minneapolis or in Michigan, is things aren't going to stop until something does change now. You know, I think what we're doing here and what we will be doing when we go back to talking about basketball, I, I think there is room for distraction. But at the same time, I think it is important to note that we're having these discussions in a world that hopefully is changing and hopefully is finally changing for the better. You know, you could say six years, but you could also say 400 years. Yeah. You know, it's been really discouraging to see, you know, the police brutality that is happening at these protests. And, you know, I'm sure uh, you've seen the assortment of videos and I'm sure everyone who's been online have seen, you know, the, the different, cases that have been happening. But, you know, I'm with you in that, you know, from just talking to people uh, this week, and there's just a general feeling, I do feel like, you know, unfortunately, it's had to get to this point for people to reach their breaking point. But it feels like everybody is, is united in having this conversation and not moving off it until there are concrete changes. Um, and I think that's important right now, too, for, um, people to see not kind of like, um, you know, the end game, but more like what this can lead to. Right. Um, and I think seeing those, uh, steps, you know, those changes that are going to happen, um, does keep me optimistic. And, and you know, I think for me, um, you know, this week I've been spending a lot of efforts, um, just focusing on donating to uh, different organizations. I know not everyone right now, um, you know, if you have family or if you're just not comfortable personally because of the coronavirus, you might not be out there protesting uh, with the people uh, as you want to. But, you know, I do want to encourage 
um, people who are listening that you can still contribute from afar and, you know, different donations. I think, um, I think, you know, if you want, just look up the black lives matter global network. Um, it's a quick Google search and you know, the, the websites will be there for you. And obviously uh, I think most of you know how to find uh, Russ and I, if you think that we can be a resource uh, to you and you want to chat, um, I think I speak for you, Russ. Um, you know, when I say that, you know, people can feel free uh, to reach out if, if they feel like we can be a resource. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I'm certainly not alone in this, but I have a list of funds you can contribute to in my bio on Instagram. Um, you know, it doesn't take much searching to find places to donate. I'm not going to spell out actual websites on here, but um, whether it's local bail funds or, you know, supporting various protest groups, I mean, obviously do the due diligence and make sure they're legit. But um, at the same time, and this is kind of, I guess, obvious coming from a podcast, but just listen, you know, and I don't mean just to us, obviously, I would love you guys to listen to us, but listen to people who are protesting, listen to why they're protesting. Don't layer your views or thoughts necessarily over it. Like now is the time to listen to what other people are saying. Yeah. And, you know, on that note too, I think um, I've been, you know, doing a lot of, you know, reading, just learning about um, black history in America, because, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of things um, we might know kind of the larger points, you know, people like to talk about uh, Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, but there's a lot of black history in America that I feel like, especially in the U S school system, people just weren't, educated about and you know not learning and understanding those things specifically um like the tulsa riots um you know in in the 1920s and things of that nature um i think without that full understanding of the history um of, of why you know people are hurting and where this inequality comes from um it's hard for people to have that real uh, empathy for uh, what people are going through and have been going through for a day to day. So um, I just want to make one more suggestion. You know, there's a local um, independent bookstore here in Toronto called a different book list. And they're carrying a lot of these books right now. Um, it's actually, actually they went a little viral this week um, online and a lot of their books are on back order. But you know, if you want to support a, a local in, independent store um, here in Canada, uh, I would recommend a different book list um, in Toronto and just, you know, read, there's a lot of resources online, free eBooks, um, you know, different articles, um, you know, I, I do encourage everyone to take the time, like you said, Russ, to, to not only listen, but to continue to educate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I think Alex actually pretty much covered a lot of it there. Um, I'm trying to remember, I believe it is, and this is why I should write things down before we do this, but, um, Haymarket books is another good one. Um, they have a, pretty solid Twitter presence and uh, you know, a lot of their catalog is really applicable today. Um, I would say also hunt down if you want to keep this basketball related, Bill Russell's second wind is an incredible autobiography, you know, from someone who I think by all possible metrics, quote unquote, made it yet still suffered the same problems that, people are suffering today. I mean, he has a whole thing about being pulled over in Los Angeles in his Lamborghini, you know, by a cop who just saw a black guy driving an expensive car. And as long as these problems continue, you know, I hope these protests continue. 
Yeah. And, you know, if, if you want Bulls related, um, I haven't read this book, but I ordered it this week. Uh, Craig Hodges um, has a book um, called Long Shot, uh, The Triumphs and Struggles of an NBA Freedom Fighter. Um, I think some of you might already be familiar with Craig Hodges' story, but if you're listening, you know, to learn about the Bulls and the last dance and all of this stuff for the first time, um, he was not in the documentary. I know we spoke a little bit about this, um, but uh, he's definitely someone that everyone should uh, look up and read about. Agree. All right, Russ, this week we are going to follow up on where the last dance ended with the Bulls winning their sixth championship in the 97-98 season and take a look at where everyone went because it did turn out to be the last dance. So I guess we should start with the context that the NBA after the 98 season had their third lockout in history and the season did not resume until February 5th of 1999 with a 50 game regular season so let's start with michael jordan michael announced his retirement on january 13th 1999 at the time after the sixth championship after all of the talk did you think there was a chance that michael was going to come back whether with the bulls or with another team it seemed like there was a minor chance i feel like the longer the lockout went the the less likely it was he was going to come back um it's funny because looking back i had sort of forgotten the first domino of the after the last dance, which is, you know, more meaningful than ever this week, but uh, was Phil Jackson, who resigned on June 23rd. And, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, did he resign during the finals? Like, I forgot they kind of ended a little bit earlier than they do now. You know, but Phil stuck to what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to quit and he quit, which sort of set up all the other dominoes. He resigned actually the day before the draft, which is... uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't getting too much uh, input into draft picks anyway. I'm sure Jerry kept that, you know, very, very, very close to the sweater vest. But uh, and I mean, God, by the day before the draft, you're pretty much decided, you know, that that was where kind of it all started. And like Mike had said over and over again, he wasn't going to play for anyone but Phil. And it was clear that if Phil wasn't the coach, Tim Floyd was going to be. And I don't think Mike, you know, I don't know. I feel like had they brought in a, another veteran coach, you know, maybe there's a chance you could convince him to stay, but Mike wasn't going to play for some young coach out of Iowa State. Mike wasn't going back to college. Yeah, the timing of the Phil Jackson resigning is interesting. Um, I'm sure you've read and people have heard, you know, Jerry Reinstorf recently talked about how after they won the sixth championship, he, he did this like one last Hail Mary attempt to try to get Phil and Michael to, to come back. The thinking being that obviously if he could convince the two of them to come back, maybe the rest of the dominoes could fall in place and they could bring Scotty back and whatever else they could do with the roster. How much, you know, do, it feels like Jerry Reinsdorf doing a lot of this, you know, recent talking to, to kind of separate himself from any blame uh, from the breakup of this team. Um, how much do you buy into this? Hail Mary attempt as, as more than just just a show of, of you know, hey, I, I tried. I mean, I, I think Reinsdorf definitely wanted it both ways. You know, I think he wanted to be like a beloved owner. And at the same time, like, obviously he wanted Jerry Krause to be the GM. And Jerry was, you know, the, the guy who burned down the house while Reinsdorf is trying to like rebuild it or build it at the same time. I don't know how they could have made it work, you know, unless you made 
Krauss like the director of scouting and had a completely different GM. You know, we, we've seen it, I think, in the current Bulls with Garpax, which was what finally drove me from Bulls fandom. Back when I was at Complex, I actually wrote an open letter to the Bulls being like, hey, you know, it's been fun, but I give up. I can't do this anymore. And at the same time, like he's, Reinsdorf has found ways to keep Paxson and to a lesser extent, Gar Foreman, like involved in the organization, even as, you know, they hire Arturos Karnisovic, which hopefully is a step in the right direction. But that was the thing, like he didn't want to go out and he didn't want to fire Kraus but he was perfectly willing to go over his head, clearly. You know, whether it was offering Horace Grant a contract, whether it was keeping Phil for 97, 98, or attempting to keep him around for 98, 99. One thing I didn't actually read, I don't know if you saw this, apparently there was a rumor that Krauss was trying to bring in Tim Floyd back in 89, you know, back, back before they hired Phil as coach and when they got rid of Doug Collins. You know, if that's the case and if Phil – knew of any of that, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not surprised Phil left, just with all the, the crazy machinations that were going on there. Plus, you know, Phil obviously called the 97-98 the season the last dance from training camp. So I think for him, even just with credibility, like you can't do that and then come back again. You know, wh- what, do you, what do you call the 98-99 season then? I mean, I'm sure he would have come up with something, and some motivational, you know, manner. But I think much like Jordan hitting that last shot for Phil, that was the way to go. That was the way to leave. Leave on top. Yeah, uh, they would have called it after the last dance, Russ. That's what, <laughs> that's what Phil Jackson would have called it. Um, and obviously, like you mentioned, this is not, you know, all the conflict, inner conflict with Krauss and Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. That's not something that just came out of nowhere. It had been festering for years, which leads me to the question too that, did Jerry, did Jerry Reinsdorf make the right move by sticking with Krauss, even knowing that it would mean that it would be the end of the run with this team? Because he, he could have fired him the year before if it meant keeping Phil and keeping Michael for a few more years, right? Do you think he made the right choice? Because that was the choice that he made, that he trusted Jerry Krause's, um read on the team, that it was getting too old and that it was time to move on. Yeah, for my money, he did. I mean, I, I think like they maxed that team out. And I, I don't want to ruin, you know, the rest of this podcast and the next one we're going to do. But, you know, I think six championships out of that team or, or those teams were about as much as you were going to get. I think 99 would have been a very difficult year. I, again, I don't want to jump the gun here. But, you know, 97-98 was kind of a patchwork, last gasp, like everything had to go right. and you know, fortunately for them, everything did. They escaped in that game seven against Indiana. You know, they survived in Utah. I don't, can, can, could they make that magic happen another year? I don't know. And we talk about the lockout. I want to go back to the lockout. You know, it's funny when you look at the Bulls transactions and Phil resigned, they have the draft and then there's not another Bulls transaction until Jordan retires on January 13th. And the lockout really threw everything out because no one could do anything official until the lockout was over. So if you look at it now, it's like, oh, wait, the season didn't start till, till January. You know, they had a ton of time to get things together. But in reality, it just compressed everything. You had free agency, training camp, and then the regular season starting in a matter of weeks. So everything was so, you know, it, it was like, wait, 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 wait. Oh my God, rush. And then you had a season with, 
a lot of back-to-backs. You know, I think it was 50 games in 90 days. You had triple, you know, three nights in a row. All that stuff that they managed to get rid of in the latest collective bargaining agreement. I think I, I recently went back and reread the Ringer oral history of the lockout, which was really good. It's like a two-part oral history. Shout out to Thomas Golianopoulos. But uh, yeah, I mean, someone actually was quoted in that as saying like, they always say the season's a marathon, not a sprint. That season was a sprint. I talked to Vince Carter not long ago, who was a rookie that season. And, you know, he went back to North Carolina. And then all of a sudden you come back to, you know, you move to Toronto and within like two weeks, you're playing regular season games. Yeah, that was a really interesting season and completely off topic, but it was a very fun fantasy basketball season just because all the players you drafted would play like six games every week um, <laughs> and you would just pile up the stats. It's funny the timing of it because, you know, the season doesn't start until February 5th and Michael retires on January 13th. I mean, obviously, I think most people know that he had that uh, cigar, cigar cutting incident where he, he tore a tendon, um, but you know, with Phil retiring right before the draft, oh, not retiring, but resigning, and Michael retiring on January 13th, the Bulls really get some clarity from that point on that, hey, you know, those two aren't coming back. So it is, you know, inevitably going to be a full rebuild. So what happens to the rest of the guys? So Scotty Pippen, when business resumes, signs a five-year, $67.2 million deal and in a sign-and-trade where he goes to Houston and the Bulls get back Roy Rogers and a second round pick. And I know we've talked about this a bit off air. Uh, the Bulls didn't really get a return for Pippen at all. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I mean, given the deals that had been on the table throughout Scotty's tenure, you know, whether it was trading him with the Sonics to try and get Sean Kemp or um, working out some sort of deal with the Clippers, thank God he didn't go there. I mean, I don't, it, wouldn't, it wasn't great when anyone went to the Clippers during the Donald Sterling era. Scotty would have been even worse. But clearly all the Bulls wanted was cap relief and to open things up and have like all these max slots open in 2000, which spoiler alert, didn't work out too well. You know, Roy Rogers never played a game with them. The second round pick turned into legendary Connecticut center, Jake Voskel, who was the center for some of those rebuilding Bulls teams, or at least a center off the bench. He was actually productive for a second round pick, but to get Jake Voskel as your only player back for one of the 50 greatest players ever and clearly the the second best player in the history of your franchise, yeah, it's not very good. Yeah, and, and you know, you touched on two things there, um, how the Bulls open up the cap space and would go on to try to use that to rebuild and also through the draft. So we're going to touch on that definitely on an upcoming episode. And we're definitely going to probably do a Scottie Pippen episode as well because his career doesn't end there and there's a lot to talk about but quickly Pippen only spends one year in Houston Um, a fun fact he actually got his first solo Sports Illustrated cover um, after the trade so I guess only Michael froze out Sports Illustrated Uh, Scotty was happy (laughs) to to, to be on the cover and probably speaking Um, in Houston and this is interesting to me actually he plays a career high 40.2 minutes that season And like you talked about, he does this during a compressed schedule. Um, He has the lowest scoring average since his rookie season, 14.5 points and a career low 43.2% field goal percentage from the field. And again, like we're holding some of the stuff back for the Scotty episode, but the Rockets lose in the first round. And this quote unquote big three with Charles Barkley and Hakeem Olajuwon does not work out. Charles and Scotty hate each other. And we will definitely dive into that because it's fascinating. Um, so that is Scotty's story. So that's what happens to Phil, Michael, and Scotty. 
So let's touch on some of the other guys and what happened to some of the other players on the 98 Bulls after the last dance. Dennis Rodman is released by the Bulls on January 21st, 1999. And he later signs with the Lakers, where he only plays 23 games and is released. And the remainder of his NBA career, the following season, he plays for the Dallas Mavericks. But again, it's only a handful of games. He lives at Mark Cuban's house. It's a violation of, I think, the salary cap rule, so he has to move out. Then he rips Mark Cuban and gets waived, and that's the end of Dennis's career. So, I mean, Jerry Krause has talked a lot about how, you know, the roster was aging, and specifically he's talked about Rodman and Luke Longley, which we'll get to, how they didn't have much left in the tank. I mean, in a way, Krause was right about those two. Well, Krause definitely was right. And another thing is that I, I think it, it's funny how, you know, the Bulls – obviously had trouble signing free agents moving forward. And I think some of the problem was, oh my God, like look how they treated their, this championship core and they weren't loyal. But if you look at it, like they were nothing but good to the guys they even got rid of. They could have let Scotty just walk and sign with Houston, but they did the sign and trade to make sure he got more money in the deal. You know, they didn't get anything back in return. It's not like they really benefited from trading him. Scotty benefited more than anyone else. They trade Steve Kerr to the Spurs who are obviously an up-and-coming team with Tim Duncan. They end up winning the title that year. You know, Dennis was cooked. Luke signs a long-term deal and gets traded, even though he was basically finished too. I mean, again, they could have just let him walk. There was no need to do a sign-and-trade, but they did the sign-and-trade actually to help them out. The funny thing is they technically got – more in return for Luke Longley than they did for Scottie Pippen. They got a conditional first-round pick, which is... Yeah, so the official trade... the immortal Martin Morsep, (laughs) the greatest player in NBA history with two U's in his last name. Do you have a Martin Morsep game-worn jersey? Just tell me. I do not. That would be a fantastic jersey to have, though. Yeah, so the official trade, uh, the sign-in trade, was Luke Longley to Phoenix for Martin Morsep, Mark Bryant... Actually plays a pretty key role for the, for the 99 Bulls, you know, if you care about the 99 Bulls. Bubba Wells and a conditional first-round pick. Luke Longley plays two seasons with Phoenix and then joins the Knicks and retires. And I learned this week that Luke Longley actually wrote a book about the 97-98 season. And I am officially on the hunt for this because it is out of print everywhere. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm curious to read that too. I mean, January 21st, it's funny. That was like kind of the, the, uh, the day everything happened. They released Bushler, Klein, Rodman, and Sally and signed the immortal Cornell David, who is best remembered for being dunked on by a very young Tracy McGrady and Charles Jones. Shout out to Hofstra. Yeah, and that was, I forgot they traded Steve Kerr and the player they got back was Chuck Person who I believe retired immediately. I don't think he played a game with the Bulls. They, they, they were not trying to get much back. I mean, that, that 99 team was just not going to be a good time. Yeah, I think, you know, and this is, should be obvious to everyone listening now, like they were obviously just punting that season, right, um, to, to kind of get their position in the draft and open up the space hopefully for free agents in the following summers. So you mentioned Judd Bushler. So a few honorable mentions. Judd Bushler signs with the Detroit Pistons. And our guy, Scott Burrell, signs with the New Jersey Nets. 
the Nets probably saw him drop, what, like 23 points in that first round elimination game. And it was like, hey, we got to grab this guy. <laughs> yeah, they remembered. They remembered. And they released Burrell on the same day they signed Brent Barry, their one sort of marquee signing. And I guess the one guy who was actually willing to fill Jordan's shoes as the two guard on the 99 Bulls, which was, you know, obviously a big deal at that point for anyone who was still going to be following along. Yeah, so we will get to the 99 Bulls in one sec. So two more things I wanted to touch on in terms of what happened. Um, I want to touch on what happened to the Jazz and the Pacers since they were, you know, the teams featured prominently in the last dance, especially the final episodes. So the Jazz basically returned the same team the next season and they finished 37 and 13, once again, a contender in the West, but they lose in the second round to Portland in six games. And this really starts their decline. You know, they, they would make the playoffs the next four seasons, but with three first round exits, uh, they never get back to the finals, obviously. And then the Stockton and Malone era ends for the Pacers. Um, they came back probably along with Miami, I would say, as the prohibitive favorite to come out of the East in 99. They finished 33 and 17 during the compressed season. They get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and play the eighth seed at New York Knicks. And everybody remembers probably the Larry Johnson game. Um, and the Knicks win in six games. So the Pacers had to suffer another disappointment in the Conference Finals, but they do make the finals the following season and lose to the Lakers coached by Phil Jackson. And that kind of wraps up uh, where kind of the key characters went. Now let's jump into the 99 Bulls, which you hinted at. So new head coach, Tim Floyd, who, like you mentioned, I guess Jerry Krause has been courting for the better part of a decade, finally joins the team. Key returning members. We talked about guys who left. Guys who came back, I guess the only key members are Ron Harper and Tony Kukoc with honorable mentions to Bill Wennington, Randy Brown, and Dickie Simpkins. Like you said, key free agency signing was Brent Berry. So fun fact, on opening night, the they actually play on opening day at Utah. So it's a finals rematch, quote unquote. But let me read you the starting lineup, Russ, for the Bulls. Ron Harper, Tony Kukoc, Brent Berry, Mark Bryant, and Andrew Lang. Uh, tell, give me the scouting report on Andrew Lang, Russ. God, I barely remember Andrew Lang. I mean, that 99 Bulls team was just... <sighs> I mean, you knew it was going to be a nightmare. You just didn't know how much of a nightmare, I guess. Um, and, and it was sort of unprecedented, you know, with the championship team being torn down like that so fast. You know, it's like as much as everyone talked about the – or as, as they talked about, you know, the Celtics holding on too long, um, most teams did that. There was some degree of continuity. With the Bulls, you end up getting Tony Kukoc stepping into that bigger role and Ron Harper – you know, kind of being the Pete Myers of 1999 of fill, filling Jordan's role and and I, I guess still playing alongside the two guard. But you just knew things were going to be awful, you know, because they made it clear that 2000 was what they were aiming for in the free agency of Tim Duncan, Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady, you know, and, and just them hoping beyond hope that, they could turn all this cap space into, into superstars again. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything else to honestly add about the 99 Bulls besides the fact that they were basically tanking, right? And I think it's just more jarring because they were coming off a championship. And um, the Jazz that day on, on, on opening day, they beat the Bulls 104-96. <laughs> um, some, some questions that I'm wondering, I wonder if Mark Bryant 
ordered pizza in Utah. Um, and you would think because the Bulls lost by eight, I'm just going to assume at some point maybe they were within two possessions. And just imagine Tim Floyd like telling Andrew Lang, hey, we just need a two for one here. Uh, and we can get a win. Um, and it must have been weird for Jazz fans too. I mean, you're, you're playing the team that had just beaten you the previous two finals, but now they don't even look like the, the same franchise. Yeah, and I mean, they weren't. You know, it's like, obviously the uniforms were the same. It's funny, like, looking back, like, I don't even remember necessarily what Tim Floyd's fo- coaching philosophy was. Like, I have no idea. I don't know if I just blocked it out at this point or if he never had, you know, I don't think he was trying to instill any sort of system really in 99 because you knew most of those guys weren't coming back or certainly weren't going to be big pieces moving forward. You know, the idea was the whole thing would change going into 2000. And then again, going into 2000, nothing worked out. So it just stayed sort of placeholder-ish for a very long time. Yeah, I read an oral history recently about the 99 Bulls, and in it, a lot of the local reporters talk about how Tim Floyd would actually, on several occasions during the season, get tossed from a game just so he could go to a bar early. Like, people would see him at the same bar, and the general perception amongst the local media was that he just wanted kind of the cachet and fame of finally becoming a head coach at the NBA level, but he didn't really take it seriously. Um I'm not going to feel too bad for him. I mean, I think you knew that, you know, when you replace Phil, that this was the kind of roster you were going to inherit. And, you know, if he didn't really try too hard, then, um, you know, it's, it's hard to feel bad for him. So the Bulls raised their championship banner um, in the third game of the season, their home opener. Uh, do you remember anything about this? They play Green Day time of your life. Bill Weddington gives a brief speech and uh, from the television clip that I watched on YouTube, they really keep it very muted because it's just very awkward. Um, they kind of play uh, the video, raise the banner, and then they score 71 points in a loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, just, it was just all the way bad. You know, it's like, and, and you do it against the Hawks, which I, who obviously didn't have any of the former Bulls. I didn't look at the, the 99 schedule. I wonder if they ever considered waiting until the Rockets were in town and, you know, doing it, when Scotty was there or, you know, did they send Jordan an invite for that night so he could come and speak to the crowd? I, I can't imagine he would have said yes. He probably would have looked at it and laughed at it like it was Isaiah Thomas talking on his iPad. But yeah, I mean, just a super, super, super awkward time, you know, and, and you look at Jordan, the way he talked in the, even in the, uh, in the doc about Kerr and, and Wennington and those guys coming into practice and kind of like, yucking it up like they were members of a championship team. Lord knows what he thought of the 99 Bulls having a banner night for a team where like hardly any of them had anything to do with anything. And that's when it became personal, Russ. Yeah. That's when he started <laughs> plotting his comeback. Benjamin with the watched the banner go up. <laughs> oh man. So one last bit um, before we wrap this podcast episode up on April 10th, this was your birthday, right, Russ? Is that correct? Yep. 28th. April 10th, 1999. So this is, mind you, this is less than a year in calendar time after the Bulls hold the Jazz to 54 points in the NBA Finals. In a home loss to the Miami Heat, the 99 Bulls score 49 points 
in a home loss to Miami, setting the new record for lowest points in a game in an NBA game since 1953, basically since they instituted the three-point line or shot clock. That is the uh, eternal uh, one memory of the 99 Bulls, I guess. I mean, that doesn't even seem possible. How many games did Jordan have when he scored over 49 points by himself? Um, Against against LeBradford Smith, specifically? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... So many moments that he could have taken personally that season were he still playing. Of course, a lot of these things wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, A, how you score 49 points in the game, and B, how late in the game, you know, you're exhorting your team like, all right, we can at least crack 50, and you don't do it. You know, I, I hope that was a game where everyone just went home, like, without even showering, like, maybe didn't even come to practice the next day. Like, I just, man, I mean – you knew there were going to be low points that season and you knew the low points were going to be particularly low. But even given that, that that's, that's just, I mean, it's unheard of, obviously it never happened and it hasn't happened since. So, yeah. So just to wrap up. So Ron Harper and Kukoc, like we mentioned are on the bulls that season. Harper goes on to join the Lakers and reunites with Phil Jackson. Tony Kukoc is traded to the Sixers And Jerry Krause has called this the hardest phone call that he's had to make because, you know, as we all know from watching The Last Dance, how much he coveted Tony Kukoc and how much of a role he played in bringing him over. Uh, Did you know, uh, Russ, that number seven is a big deal um, overseas if you wear number seven? I've heard that. I've I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. The kids (laughs) love it. And, um, you know, for, for people tuning in just to see what happened to Bill Wennington, um, he joins the Sacramento Kings and I think plays like seven games with them. Randy Brown sticks with them for, for a few more seasons. Um, you know, just a, once a bull, always a bull. And that really does it for what happened to everyone from the 98 Bulls and what happened to the 99 Bulls. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to this before we wrap up, Russ. Well, I think, I think uh, Rusty LaRue, who was a rookie on the 97-98 team, was extremely prescient when he went in you know, for that last meeting was like, thanks guys for ruining my career because it's never going to be better than this. And basically it wasn't for any of those guys, you know, because what, Tony got traded to Philly, eventually went to Milwaukee, you know, just kind of kicked around until he started to go gray. You know, I don't know if any of those guys really ever recaptured what they had in Chicago outside of Kerr with San Antonio and Scotty getting close with the Trailblazers. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of sad the way it all broke down because I think on previous championship teams, you had guys go and kind of find success in other places, whether it was Horace in in Orlando or uh, Scott Williams eventually going on to play with uh, a very young LeBron James in Cleveland. You just didn't have as much of that from that 97-98 team. Yeah, the only person, I mean, is Phil Jackson who goes on to win the championships. But I mean, yeah, you're right. Player wise, you know, I do think it's cool that Kerr went on to, to get his own four Pete with the Spurs in, in 99, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, there's not a lot of good memories uh, about what happened to, to the post 98 bulls. And that includes Michael Jordan, but we'll cover that on uh, a future episode. So that does it for us for this episode. I want to thank everyone again for listening. As always, you can find every episode of After the Last Dance on iTunes, Spotify, and any other platforms that you use to listen to podcasts. Uh, Russ and I, for season two, will be filling in the gaps of things that weren't covered in After the Last Dance and also taking a look at uh, post-1998 
uh, Chicago Bull stuff like what we just did. Uh, I want to give a shout out again to Soul Savvy for giving us the platform to continue to chat about this. And we will catch you on the next episode. The sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone. Getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days. As soon as you try to purchase, the shoe is out of stock. If you want to improve your skills, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. Be smart and get equipped with the right tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want. Soul Savvy, the exclusive sneaker community.